bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Edward Rogoff, uh, who has written a book called The Entrepreneurial Conversation. Uh, he is also the professor of entrepreneurship at Baruch College. Welcome to the show, Ed. Thanks, Jordan. Good to be with you. Let's just start with a little bit of your background um, and kind of your uh, background both as an academic and I assume as an entrepreneur as well before we, we get into it. Sure. Um, well, I, um, I uh, finished my um, education at Columbia University. I have, an MBA, I have a BA, an MBA, and a PhD uh, in business uh, from Columbia. And uh, I was interested in regulatory issues and entrepreneurship and when I finished um, my education, I started a radio station business. Uh, and uh, over the next uh, 10, 12 years, bought and sold uh, 23 radio stations throughout the United States. So I certainly dealt with all the issues of um, managing people, finding acquisitions, uh, obtaining financing, uh, angels, banks, uh, venture capital. And um, around the time that I was selling the last stations, I thought I would teach a little bit because I never had uh, done that, although I was educated to do it. And so I um, came to a former colleague of mine who was now at Baruch and uh, asked him if I could teach a course. And uh, one thing led to another, and uh, they needed someone to start an entrepreneurship program. And since I had the background to do it, I started that. And now we have a very large, uh, very successful entrepreneurship program at the undergraduate and graduate levels. At Baruch, it's been ranked in the top 25 by uh, top 25 in the country by Princeton Review uh, several times, and um, uh, we have uh, probably about a thousand students who take our courses or major in the program. So uh, that's my that's the quick and dirty uh, background on Ed Rogoff. Terrific. Let's just before we get into some of the specifics about how to become a successful entrepreneur. Um, get into kind of the state of entrepreneurship uh, in America today. Uh, yeah, well, this is, of course, these are, these are tough times for everyone, including for entrepreneurs, but I think the overarching lesson of today's economy is that entrepreneurship is uh, healthier than ever and more important than ever. You know, when you think about where America is going to get the growth from to replace the 7 or 8 or 10 million jobs that will have been lost in this uh, recession, uh, I think everyone pretty much agrees they're not going to come from General Motors. It's not going to come from large established companies that have been suffering, uh, even from ones that are supposed to be rebuilt in drastically and dynamic new ways, uh, like people hope to do with General Motors. It's not going to come there. It's going to come from companies that no one's ever heard of yet. It's going to come from the next uh, Googles and Microsofts and Amazons and uh, and um, the, you know the, the companies that are starting to rationalize and improve and modernize healthcare delivery that have ideas and smart people um, and ways to deliver value and these are entrepreneurs and that's where the growth is going to come from so entrepreneurship is more important than ever uh to the United States and in fact to the world it's more it is going to be a more important source of job creation than ever 
Um, and that's the good news. And the bad news is it's probably harder to do than ever because obtaining the resources that entrepreneurs need to uh, to build their businesses is tougher than ever. Um, that will change eventually, but for the time being, that's the situation that they face. Is it basically the credit crunch, or is it uh, venture capital, or what, what is... I'd say it's resources. all... What resources all, are not available? Yeah, I, the money resources are not available. Um, so banks are lending uh, less to... Uh, lending less in general, and certainly lending less to uh, smaller businesses with uh, shorter credit histories or no credit histories. Uh, venture capital money, which is really kind of late-stage money for entrepreneurs. In other words, the, most venture capitals capital companies are trying to finance businesses just before they're ready to go public, so before they're ready for a huge step so that they can make uh, large profits on that. So, uh, But nonetheless, even though that doesn't pertain to very many people, it's uh, there's less venture capital available. There's less angel funding. There's less funding from the entrepreneur and his or her family themselves who is the that group is the leading source of funding for entrepreneurs so because of the contraction in real estate values and the contraction in stock market values these people all feel like they have less money they all feel and they do in fact have less money so they have less money to put into businesses that they're starting or that family members are starting or that friends are starting and it's a tough um, you know tough tough environment to raise money there are other resources that are more easily obtained now than ever it's easier to get in front of people and to talk to people about ideas because people are not as busy it's easier to recruit human resources uh because people are are out of jobs and uh people who are in jobs are uh, insecure so there's a little bit of good news but basically it's tougher tougher to start a business than it was uh, three years ago. Now, the po- politicians always talk about uh, entrepreneurship and how they want to encourage it and small business administration, and, and I think there's been various entrepreneurship-oriented incentives in the stimulus package and so on. What is the reality as far as uh, government incentives to help entrepreneurs become successful? Yeah, it really reaches the, the, the bottom line here, Jordan, is it really reaches very few people. Um, the stimulus package um, and small business programs in general, in my experience, end up going to companies that probably could have obtained the resources they needed without them. And stimulus package programs or subsidized programs end up getting them those resources that they would have obtained anyway, just cheaper. Um, So I, I don't think... You know, despite the fact that there's a guy who runs infomercials telling you how there's all kinds of money for free to start a business, there's very little money for free to start a business. And if that's your business strategy, um, you're going to need a lot of good luck because it's uh, unlikely to come come to pass. I can't say it never happens. It does occasionally happen. Um, you know, a local government may be promoting a particular industry and they may finance uh, a business, but they're unlikely to finance a startup. They're unlikely to finance somebody with a short track record. So that kind of um, money that everyone dreams of, that free money from the government with few strings attached um, in large amounts is uh, really a dream. Let's go global for a moment here. Um, you've kind of described the U.S. situation. Is entrepreneurship 
uh, growing more around the world as well? Are they taking our model and, and being successful or, or less so around the world? Uh, it depends where you look. I think that generally speaking, um, globally, uh, people understand, policymakers, governments, business leaders understand the importance of entrepreneurship in, in, in uh, building their economies. Um, in many countries, um, whether it's uh, Southeast Asia, the Middle East, South America, um, it's very clear that you're not going to be able to employ the number of people who live there um, through traditional large company or government employment. That There just is not enough of that. So you need to encourage people to create their own ventures um, and to become entrepreneurs. And that, in various places, takes many different forms. Um, you know, in India, you could look at what uh, Muhammad Yunus, the man who won the Nobel Prize for doing this, has done um, in terms of sponsoring uh, women to, to own cell phones in small villages in India. Um, and in uh, Brazil, you might look at a country that's taken an aggressive posture on helping fund uh, uh, companies that build aircraft. Uh, so there's many different approaches to it, um, but uh, the, the general thrust is the same, is that there needs to be new business creation to create employment and wealth uh, for the world going forward, and we can't rely on large companies uh, to do that or governments that are supported by tax revenue to do that. Since you have so many students there at Baruch, uh, give me a sense of the success rate of your students. They've gone through your program. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, you have a thousand students or so. I mean, do most of them become successful or kind of tell me a story or two about how it's worked for your students? Uh, well, it, it works many different ways. I'll, I'll, I'll say this about um, many students who are interested in entrepreneurship come from family businesses. So they've been raised, um, uh, you know, or as I was, at, you know, the behind the counter of a store. So they sort of come to this from a very early age. They, they, they have an example of an entrepreneur in their family. This is a very common theme in entrepreneurship generally. Um, and um, uh, so many of them come to, come to college or to graduate school with the dream of becoming better educated to go back to their family business and to grow it, to bring to it the skills and uh, knowledge necessary to take that business to the next level. So that's a, that's a very significant number of students. Uh, then there are other students who have huge dreams. They have huge ideas, uh, and they want to bring those uh, to fruition. And they understand that those, those are long-term uh, plans with low probability of success in any particular time, and they're willing to, um, to, to play those through. Um, many students get um, ideas in a sort of casual way. Uh, I think about the example. I had a wonderful student who started a business called Chinasprout.com, which is an online company that sells um, uh, products from China for children. And uh, the uh, founder of, um, of this business got the idea when she was uh, walking down the street um, in New York and would be stopped. She would see a lot of American um, uh, families who had adopted Chinese babies, 
and they would ask her um, her questions about what should they be giving their child so that the child could stay in touch with their Chinese heritage. And she said, you know, there's a business here selling to these families, and I have family in China who could get me these products, whether it's clothes or books or signs or pictures, um, toys that are traditional in China. And she said, what do you think about that? She said, my husband can can write the website for this, and I think I can start for about $8,000. And I said, wow, that sounds like a fantastic uh, idea to me. And um, And she did, and she's grown the business many, many times um, over uh, from its original size, and now has, in addition to her core business, has a huge business providing Chinese educational products to schools uh, throughout the country. Mm. So, um, you know, a lot of people find casual ideas. Um, you know, this is uh, Fred Smith's uh, epiphany about how uh, UPS delivers things in two days. If I could come up with a company that delivered things in one day, I could build a success. And, of course, you know, he built FedEx from that, that way. So I, I see students with that. I see students who have interests in industry, um, they want they want to start a restaurant. They've worked in the restaurant industry. They think they can do that, and so they start uh, f- something in the food business. Um, I had a student who started a business uh, selling uh, empanadas, and uh, felt that he's from he was from uh, from Argentina. Was that these were not um, available in the United States? He thought it's a convenient food. Um, suits American uh, style of something you can eat on the run, um, and um, you know now built a business and has his has his products uh, Rico Empanadas in uh, in Whole Foods in Fairway in big stores and uh, and has moved several times to accommodate the the, the needs of uh, manufacturing has grown. So I think you know and 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 these stories are instructive for anyone. Ideas come from all different places for all different reasons, and there's ways to start businesses small and start them big um, and start them in concert with people or start them alone. And uh, there's no one formula for doing this except that you have uh, a, you've identified a market need and a market demand. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, I'm speaking with Ed Rogoff, uh, who is the chairman of the Entrepreneurship Department uh, in the School of Management at Baruch College. We'll be back after this. All we talk about is money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk Talk money money all the time. time. Voice America Business. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. 
Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. All we talk about is money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk Talk money money all the time. time. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Edward Rogoff, uh, who's the chairman of the Entrepreneurship uh, School at uh, Baruch College. Welcome back to the show, Ed. Thanks. You hear overall that the failure rate for entrepreneurs is 80%, 90%, you know, these big, big numbers all the time. Is that still true, or, or have people learned some lessons and becoming a little bit better at it? Why is the failure rate continually so, so high? Yeah. Well, and this is a, first of all, it's a hard number to get a uh, clear picture of um, for a lot of reasons. Many businesses never become formal organizations. You know, you, you don't organize a business. You may start a business, um, run it out of your house, not be organized formally as a corporation or an LLC. Um, the business may do well. That doesn't show up in any statistics. It may fail. That doesn't show up in any statistics. So it's it's really really hard to know. But um, you know, a couple of couple of background points here. One is uh, all businesses eventually fail. Um, you know, General Motors is a good example of this. Chrysler is a good example of this. Uh, these are companies that have existed for a hundred years, and uh, for one reason or another, they've reached the the end of the road. Of the original Dow thirty companies. Uh, on the Dow Jones Index in, uh, I think it was 1890, uh, the only one that's left is uh, General Electric, and uh, it's limping a little bit, too. So, um, you know, you can't necessarily judge strictly on failure. All that being said, um, the best number that I can give you is that about half of businesses fail within the first five years. Um, And now... The the next qualification of that statistic, because that sounds kind of gloomy, the next qualification of that statistic is that just because the business fails doesn't mean the entrepreneur fails. So many entrepreneurs are serial entrepreneurs. They engage in multiple ventures, uh, one right after another. Uh, this kind of describes me as in my own entrepreneurial career, and um, and. This is true about many entrepreneurs. So, yes, they start a business. It may fail. The next business fails. The third business succeeds. Now, when you look at the statistics, you say two out of three of these businesses failed. But the truth is, in the over that five-year or ten-year period, that entrepreneur turned out to be a success. 
So um, if you minimize risk, which is really the key strategy entrepreneurs need to keep in mind, then um, then you're able to go on to the next venture even if uh, even if one fails. Let's let's go through some of the processes. I know you do a whole course on this and have a whole department on it, but let's go through briefly some of the uh, key uh, uh, steps that people need to take to become successful uh, entrepreneurs. I guess the first one is coming up with an idea um, that there's a market for uh, that already hasn't been done. What what are some of the pitfalls in in doing that? Um, Well, uh, you know, the pitfalls is there's a lot to be learned along the way. Um, so you can come along and say, hey, no one's sending people uh, to Mars on vacations, uh, and therefore I'll start a business that does that. Well, the only problem is is that it's not feasible. You can't get the resources necessary uh, to do that. It's technically not possible. You know, all these small glitches along the way. Yes. So an idea is just the starting point. Many people start businesses by just replicating existing ideas. Um, you know, look, you can there. You know, you can sell pizza. Um, pizza places have high success rates. So if you pick a good location and uh, you don't pay too much in rent, um, you have a very high probability of success. So you can think of a good idea, or you can find an existing proven idea that hasn't yet been done someplace. And so to that place, it's new. Um, to that corner, it's 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 new that uh, there's there's pizza places. Um, you know, Howard Schultz more or less did the same thing with Starbucks. You know, he saw that uh, that coffee places in Europe um, were selling better quality coffee to people who wanted to sit around and savor it and enjoy the experience of sitting in a comfortable location. And he said, "Why don't I do that in the United States?" And so he he did that. Of course, he and he'd been in the coffee business for quite some time before he did that. So yeah, take a take a you know take your new good idea, put it to the test. Is it feasible? Can I obtain the resources? Are is there demand for it? Can the product be sold profitably? Prove that, then go out and try to do it. Or maybe you can skip a lot of that by finding an existing idea that you can adapt to a new market, a new location. And uh, implement uh, implement it that way. So, as far as once you've got an idea, uh, then should you? Do, what's the best way to go out market testing it to see if it actually would sell and would be successful? Yeah, well, it depends on the product, but there are many, you know, many ways to do that. And these this all fits into that into that uh, risk minimization strategies that you want to that you want to follow. So, if you think you have a delicious uh, product in your squid flavored pancakes. Um, well, you might want to start testing that with people first. You may think they're delicious, but do other people find them delicious? So maybe first you test them on friends and family. They're going to be sort of inclined to be positive with you and to want to support you in what you do. So you got to take what they say with a little bit of skepticism. Now you move on to a next group. Maybe you do a, a test. In a restaurant, somebody agrees to let their customers taste something for you and give you feedback. Maybe you cook some on on the street, and you um, you know are out in front of a mall, and you uh, and you offer people free samples in exchange for them completing a questionnaire. So now you begin to learn which did did they like it, what did they like about it, what didn't they like about it, how could you change it, and in doing that, you're minimizing your risk going forward that you're not testing the idea in a huge way. 
uh, expensive way that could lead to financial ruin um, just right off the bat. So, you know, that's that's one way. The other way is to just make a trip to the library. Uh, there's so many high-quality business resources that are out there where you can look at studies that have been done of uh, tastes in any industry, of trends in any industry, and you can see whether it's fashion or food or transportation, you can see what's working, you can see what isn't working, um, you can learn from studies that have been done and are very often published, um, Not some of them published in, in academic journals, but many of them in industry journals, many of them in industry newsletters, um, many findings presented at industry conferences that are going to teach you the lessons that other people have learned, sometimes very painfully and expensively, and teach them to you inexpensively. What would be some areas today that would be kind of counter-cyclical, that would actually do better uh, as the economy seems to be doing worse? Yeah, you know, it's, it, you know, certain core things that people have to spend money on are not going to go away. So um, food has been doing well. Um, inexpensive products are, do, are doing well. Um, uh, core things that, um, you know, some type of home improvement products, uh, things that people might have paid for someone to do, have someone else do before, like uh, paint their house. Maybe they paint it themselves, either because they're unemployed or because they don't want to spend the money to uh, to pay someone else. So think about ways that people. There are things that people are. Uh, they may not take that vacation um, to uh, Europe, but they're still going to have to feed their families. They're still going to have to. Um, uh, buy clothes for their children. They're going to try to save money in all these things. What can you come up with in these areas where you can deliver lower price, better service? So those are kind of more staple, regular things. I was talking specifically about things that would do better when the economy is doing. I mean, an example of you were in the foreclosure business, you'd be overwhelmed with business right now or something. You know, where right, it actually right. does, does better when the economy does worse. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, these, these kinds of, um, you know, yeah, I mean, certainly there are people who are raising funds to buy properties in foreclosure. Um, there are people who are creating services to uh, help people who have mortgages or debt that they can't uh, sustain. Um, these are not necessarily uh, risk-free um, ventures. Uh, you know, buying property because it's 30% cheaper than it was last year doesn't necessarily mean that this is the last time it'll be 30% cheaper. It yeah. may be, you know, may continue to slide down in value, and um, so you can't you can't be certain of uh, of uh, that. It, it forces people to rely more on cash flow models for businesses, and by that I mean, does the business create enough? cash, in other words, real income, to support its costs on an ongoing basis. So this argues for buying rental properties with a strong location and a good history, um, more than just to take the real estate example, more than it does to say speculate in buying houses that are empty or in, or in buying vacant uh, land. Mm -hmm. So um, if people have uh, an idea uh, they've tested it. There seems to be some uh, response from the marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, what is the next step as, as far as uh, doing a prototype or, or getting 
financing, what's the next step entrepreneurs uh, need to do? Yeah, the next step is, and it's sort of a chicken and egg question, and you sort of have to do these at the same time. One is basically getting the product or finding the deal, and at the same time finding the resources. Uh, this is, you know, who's going to, uh, do you need partners? Do you need to partnerships with vendors or suppliers? Uh, do you need financing? Where's the financing going to come from? When you go to these sources of these kinds of resources and you request of them participation in your deals, they're going to say, where's the prototype? Where's the deal? Where's the property that we're buying? And so you really want to move ahead on both of those agendas simultaneously so that you can, you can make, um, you can bring those to fruition at the same time and make it, have a good deal, have a good product, and have the resources necessary to do it. As far as coming up with a deal, when you have an idea that's been to some extent tested, you think it's going to work, you're passionately believing in it, uh, how can entrepreneurs who don't have money but have a good idea uh, hold on to some of it? They're going to have to give away most of it at an early stage like that to uh, investors. Yeah, well, uh, you know, this, of course, is a you know, very powerful point. Um, I should say I'm a believer that good ideas find the funding that they need. Um, if you think it's a good idea and you've proven that it's a good idea uh, and you're a reasonable person, there are other people out there who will feel the same way, and some of them will have the resources that you need. Now, if they want to participate with you, if they want to invest with you, if they want to partner with you, the next step is to make a deal. And you're right. The less that you're putting in and the more that they're putting in, uh, the more the deal that they're going to end up controlling. And you need to find partners. If that turns out to be the case, that your financing is able to take control of your company or your product at a very early stage, you need to find people who have the same agenda that you do. So they want to they want to build the company, expand the company in a certain way. Their time frame is the same. They're not looking for just a short short term profit and an exit. That they want to keep it and you going for a while until it builds to the next stage or perhaps several stages down the road. Is that harder to do in today's environment because investors yes. are more cautious about investing in anything? Yes, and they're, yes, money is scarce and they're more demanding. Uh, so they're looking for they're looking for more looking for more resources. There's a little bit of a flip side to that, which is is that for certain kinds of investors, and these are family, friends, angels, um, and even for larger funds, even some venture capital companies, their alternatives are not that great. You know, interest rates are quite low. The stock market is not looking very attractive. So, giving someone an opportunity to invest in a potentially high-growth venture may be more attractive than the alternatives and may help you raise that money. Is part of your training that you give to the students there at Baruch uh, how to present yourself uh, to potential investors and, and how to win people over? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the, that's the role of a business plan, and I wrote a book about that called Bankable Business Plans, um, and, uh, and Jeff Bezos wrote the introduction to it, which is uh, you know a strong... I always say the forward of the book sold more than the book itself, but uh, but uh, you know it's a strong endorsement of of what the book says. So it's, a business plan is a way to present that in writing to people. Um, 
you know, presentation of your plan in person is a way to do it. Um, and then I, I wrote another book, which you, you referenced, that you kindly referenced earlier, called The Entrepreneurial Conversation, which is really a book about how to deal with people in person to build the strong, long-term, positive business relationships on which strong ventures are built. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of work that's been done, a lot of research, a lot of understanding about how people interact personally to build strong relationships. And this this book sort of uh, summarizes that and talks about specific examples and talks about examples in the context of uh, being an entrepreneur. Well, we're actually going to take a break, and we're going to get back to that a little bit. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Edward Rogoff. Uh, who's the chairman of the entrepreneurship department at uh, Baruch College in New York City. And we'll be back after this. All we talk about is money. Call us toll-free, 866-472-5790, and talk to the experts. We talk talk money money all the time. time. Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. What I want to be when I grow up by Johnny Mike. Dad, it's John. I got the promotion. We'll call him John Jr. You'll speak over 500 million words in your lifetime, but none of them will be as important as the words you use to tell your six-year-old he has cancer. CureSearch.org connects you to the most comprehensive research and advice on childhood cancer and to other families who know exactly what you're going through. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. Sell, buy, buy, sell. All we talk about is money. Talk to an expert. Call now. now. Toll free 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Edward Rogoff, uh, who's the chairman of the entrepreneurship department at uh, Baruch College in New York City. Welcome back to the show, Ed. Thanks. Uh, you did do a book uh, called The Entrepreneurial Conversation, and I just want to mention some things there. You talk about a lot of the myths of uh, what makes a successful entrepreneur. Why don't you go through some of the, the myths uh, and, and why those are myths? Right. Um, people believe um, that you need to be a certain sales, quote, unquote, sales personality to be a successful entrepreneur. Uh, that you need to be able to go out and sort of hawk your, your, your company, hawk your products, hawk your services, and that you need to be a sort of aggressive, um, uh, you know, used car sales person type. Um, 
you know, not only is this sort of offensive to think about, it's wrong. There's no evidence that this is the case at all. There's there's no evidence that there's a particular personality that's good at this or successful at it. The key issue is someone who listens for and understands the real issues of the other party. So if I'm trying to raise money for a business, I need to understand what a banker's real issues are before I make a presentation to him or her about about borrowing money. That their their issue is they need to be paid back. They need to have collateral. They need to have security. They need to get paid whether the the business grows or not. And if I address their issues in my presentation, they'll feel comfortable and they'll be more likely to do business with me. Similarly, if I'm raising money from a venture capital firm that's looking, pardon me, for high growth, for dynamic companies, for the next uh, Google, then I need to... I need to do a presentation or I need to have a product or service that positions me to be that. So I have to understand their real issues, listen to them, listen to what their needs are, and address their needs in my presentation. If you do that, it doesn't matter whether or not you're a comfortable salesperson, an enthusiastic salesperson, or a scared salesperson, you will get their interest and you will get their resources. So this is a fundamental point for entrepreneurs is that many people, for example, I work with a lot of scientific people, technical people who have (coughs) started businesses, developed products, and they feel that they're not the right type to do this. That's wrong. These are smart people who who understand their product, who are passionate about it, who can present it very well. They just need to understand the needs of the other side. They have to listen to understand the needs of what the other person is to- is interested in, and they need to present their product, their business, in a way that addresses those needs. When you have, uh, I'm interested in the process of your students. Do you have students actually making presentations, and do you have students acting as a venture capitalist and banker evaluating it, or how do you yes. actually do this in class? Well, in in class, I would say in the entrepreneurship program, every class has students doing presentations um, because this is this is how we communicate in the in the world this is how deals get made is in person with people making presentations email is is wonderful uh, instant messaging is is wonderful twitter is wonderful but in the final analysis if you're going to raise a few million dollars for your business you're almost certainly going to do it in person so you need to have those skills, be comfortable with them, have practice with them, and all of our, our courses in, include that element in it. The other thing that we do, many schools around the country do this, is run business plan competitions. And these, uh, we have a business plan competition that runs once a year, and uh, we have uh, more than 100 teams that compete in it. Each team has four or five students, so we're talking about 500 students or 400 students who are participating in this in this process where they are writing the plan and then getting practice presenting it to panels of real uh entrepreneurs, real bankers, um, people who have real experience with this and this is a great learning process. Um, it's have some of those business plans actually been implemented and uh, many, uh, yeah, many. Certainly uh, I would say about half of the uh of the um, top ten teams 
every year. Well, partially because the winnings are able to finance the businesses. Um, at least half of them actually start the businesses. Hmm. I've heard that the business plans are nice, but what really sells it ultimately is the conference and the people uh, that are they're selling it. There's, there's, there's always no put problem. out uh, optimistic projections, but it's really who, who's you know who's offering it and I, their experience that ultimately sells it. I think I agree with that. I think ultimately people are going to have confidence in the people or not. Uh, one of the ways they get confidence in you is how uh, pre- how professionally have you worked out your your uh, projections. Um, how carefully have you studied your product or service for its viability? Uh, how well have you built your team, and how well does the team seem to be working together? So I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. In the final analysis, people say businesses change, conditions change, business plans are out of date shortly after they're written, but you're going to be in business with this person. Do you want to be in business with them? So, yes, so this is really what argues for these skills that I talk about in the entrepreneurial conversation is that if you have those skills to make the other party feel comfortable that you will be addressing their needs through good times and bad times, through changes in the business, through success and failure, they'll want to be your partner. And more so today than ever because uh, be able to have to go through hard times is, is, is uh, <laughs> expected, expected, right. Yeah. Uh, you also have a, a bunch of myths relating to sales here. Yeah. Um, and why don't you briefly go through some of the, the common myths having to do with sales? Oh, uh, well, I don't know if I can if I can uh, reproduce that list off the top of my head, but but um, you know one one very common myth with sales I see this all the time is that people feel that the more calls they make, the better. So it, what I need to do if I'm trying to raise money for my business from a bank is I need to call on more banks. Um, this is very common for sales managers in sales organizations to impose this uh, discipline on their salespeople. Say so you've got to make more calls. You know how many calls did you make today? Well, it is true. There's some element of sales which is a, a numbers game. Um, if you make more sales, uh, you know, in some way, you'll have a higher probability of success. But it's much more important to make the right calls in the right way than it is to just make a number of calls. So uh, this argues for preparation. It argues for planning. It argues for practice before you get out there in front of the people you're going to present to. The other, you know, problem. The other problem with making a lot of calls is that you get a lot of turndowns. And although the turndowns are not personal, and you should be able to pick yourself up pick yourself up, brush yourself off, off, start all over again, etc. Just because you should do that doesn't mean it's so easy to do. So if you just make a lot of calls without the preparation, without giving yourself the highest probability of success for each call, you're really putting yourself in a position where you're going to lower your morale and feel worse um, each time. And that makes it harder to go on. So then your your interactions and your calls become more negative, and this sort of erodes the the whole process. So anyway, I would argue for preparation, quality, careful calls, well prepared for, um, rather than just lots and lots of um, uh, attempts to raise money or to obtain whatever resources you need. You were also saying a myth is to compensate solely based on performance. Why is that a myth? Um, 
you know, this is this is people. You know, this is sort of a sales. This is sort of a, a an issue that relates to sales generally, um, and you're seeing it pop up now more than ever. Um, people say, "I need to give. I need to have an incentive." So I'm only going to pay people based on what they produce. The problem with this is it gives someone the wrong incentive. It gives them the incentive to make a sale, to promise things that they can't deliver, to make a sale regardless of building a long-term relationship. So you get people who go out and make sales, and um, in the final analysis, you, a year later, three months later, you don't deliver what you promised, and that relationship, that business relationship that could have been so positive and could have led to so many things, now now leads to a disaster. So um, if you have people working for you, you really want to give them, if you can afford it, and I know this is an issue today more than ever, you really want to give them a base of security from which they can work. People do a better job when they feel secure than when they feel feel fear feel fearful. Fear is not a good motivator for people. So having people who work for you who are fearful that they're not going to be able to make enough money to pay their rent, who are fearful that they're going to lose their job, is not a formula for success. It's a formula for developing a bad reputation in the market. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Edward Rogoff, uh, who is the chairman of the Entrepreneurship uh, Department at Baruch College. His uh, book is called The Entrepreneurial Conversation, The Powerful Way to Create Mutual Beneficial Long-Term Business Relationships. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, 401ks, investments, refinancing. We can help you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Achieve total wealth management. Listen to three-dimensional wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Money, money, up-to-date business and financial news. Money, money. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Edward Rogoff, uh, who's the chairman of the Entrepreneurship Department at uh, Baruch College in New York City. Welcome back to the show, Ed. Thanks. Uh, you talk a lot about uh, in your book about how to deal with other people, and it, it seems like platitudes to some extent. We're talking about being honest and being straightforward and so on. Uh, why do people need to hear these kind of things? Which sounds like, of course, you should be honest and straightforward. Right. I, I think uh, you know. Yeah, a lot of these things are quite simple. Um, that's the beauty of it that they're quite simple. Uh, they're quite proven to be effective, and uh, everybody needs to be reminded of it. Um, once you get caught in a lie once to a client or a customer or a partner, um, your relationship with that person is altered forever. Um, and everyone has examples of it. Uh, people feel under pressure to say things sometimes that aren't true, and they pay a huge price for that in the long run. So, yeah, things like just listening to your client, just listening to the uh, other party in a negotiation, which sounds like such a simple thing. Most people don't do it. Most people just talk, and they just talk. they feel the more they talk, the more they sell, the more likely they're going to get good results. Actually, it's the opposite, and there's lots of studies that's, that support that. Listening is a more powerful tool than, than speaking. And so I counsel people in this book on developing their listening skills, uh, on listening through pauses, that people tend to say very important things only after they pause in a conversation. Uh, so you have to be patient. You have to have some level of skills. But, you know, as I said earlier, this is something everybody can do. These are not tough things to do. You just need to be aware of them, and you need to integrate the practice of them into your daily business life. Um, tell us a little bit about the book and how people can find the book and, and what some of the things they could you know, learn about in the book that you have, The Entrepreneurial Conversation. Yeah, well, the book is about, you know, basically about selling. It's about selling in an entrepreneurial context, but it applies to everyone who interacts with people to, to sell, uh, to sell um, products or services or to raise resources necessary for their business. Um, the book's available on, on Amazon. Um, it's available in bookstores. It's uh, available as as, um, as an audio uh, audible audio book. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, it's it's uh, easy to find. Go to the Amazon website. Um, you know, Bankable Business Plans is also available uh, there. And um, you know, I'm working on a book now on entrepreneurship for people over fifty because this is an issue that's uh, really come up in a big way um, as people are, people are staying active later and as traditional employment for older workers is really not available. Tell us a little bit about the resources available for entrepreneurs, either new entrepreneurs, or I would assume there's a lot of people who've been working in corporate America uh, who aren't anymore, probably without their, uh, you know, by their choice, <laughs> yeah, who yeah. have had to become entrepreneurs. Right. What are some of the resources that are available? I Trim- mean, are there many, Trim- many entrepreneurship programs that 
colleges around the country? Are there some specific websites that might be helpful? Right. Small Business Administration. What are some of the best resources you could use, offer people? Yeah, I, I, my, my best recommendation is to find a university-based entrepreneurship center. And there are at least 300 of these around the country. Um, and um, many of them have small business development centers um, built into their programs. So they have business counselors, they have classes, they have business advisors. Um, we have that here at, uh, at Baruch. All the services are free. So if you go to a small business development center or an, and or an entrepreneurship center, Almost all the services, I would say, all the services are free. Maybe some of them that I don't know about are not. Is there a central place to find these? Uh, um, you know, the sba.gov website lists all the small business development centers. That's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all of them are based at uh, colleges and universities. And, um, you know, many of them are part integral into uh, larger entrepreneurship programs as well. Um, many schools offer programs, not degree-based, degree-offering programs, but there are many non-degree programs that are good for entrepreneurs. And so this gives gives you what you need on how to do a business plan or raising capital or learning about uh, entrepreneurship in general. Gives it gives you this um, in a, uh, you know, very um, uh, digested, uh, efficient way. Uh, so I, I would start. Um, I would start with the SBA website, and uh, another excellent uh, resource is the Kaufman Foundation uh, website. K A U F F M A N. Um, Kaufman dot org is uh, is a, um, a a huge foundation whose uh, total purpose is entrepreneurship and promoting entrepreneurship and helping entrepreneurs, and they have many excellent resources on there website and programs that they'll they'll refer to people to from the website. Are you finding a lot of people who were in corporate America with responsible jobs don't want to or aren't able to find jobs in the big companies again and are becoming entrepreneurs? Is that it's, a big source of new people in your huge. area? Huge. It's a huge trend. Um, there are two trends that really come together to form that. One is you have a lot of people who have had corporate careers who are fed up with them. Um, and they've they've had dreams, they've had ideas, they want to do something on their own, they're tired of working for a boss. The older they get, the more experience they get in a large organization, the less tolerant they become of bo- bosses who they don't feel know, know enough or know more than they do. So they're really looking to get out. And so that's one source of this uh, trend. The other source, of course, of, is layoffs. And layoffs disproportionately hurt work older workers because older workers get paid more. Uh, so if you're going to be laying people off, if you can lay somebody off who's been there for 25 years, you're in all certainty laying off someone who gets uh, paid more than someone who's a relatively new employee. So these two trends have really come together to uh, create a, a large amount of entrepreneurship among older Americans. I should say that the statistics on this are incredibly clear. The older a person is, the more likely they are to be an entrepreneur. And this is very interesting, is that, you know, people who are under 30 are about maybe, you know, one in in 15 are entrepreneurs or have their own businesses. People who are over 50 are like one in five are self-employed or have their own businesses. 
So this is a hugely growing trend, and it continues. It continu- continues even as people re- get into their seventies and even eighties. Um, that this increased um, likelihood that you become an entrepreneur as you become older is uh, is uh, is the case. Terrific. All right, well, this has really been fascinating. Uh, my guest this hour has been Ed Rogoff, uh, who's the chairman of the entrepreneurship department at Baruch College. Uh, do you have a, a website or something where people can contact you if they want to follow up with this? Um, there's a, a website for bankable business plans, uh, www.bankablebusinessplans.com, um, one word, um, and they can reach me through that, or they can reach me through the uh, Entrepreneurial Conversation um, uh, website as well, and that's uh, entrepreneurialconversation.com. Um, and um, or they can contact me at Baruch College in New York City, B-A-R-U-C-H. Terrific. Well, appreciate it very much. It's really a fascinating area, and, and as you say, the salvation of our economy. If anything, yeah. where the jobs are going to be coming, it's entrepreneurship and not um, you know big companies hiring people back. That's not about to happen. Yep, yep. So thanks very much, Ed. Okay, and, been my uh, pleasure. Thank you, George. Thank you very much. And again, my guest this hour was Ed Rogoff, who wrote the book, The Entrepreneurial Conversation. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.